Okay, can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Okay, good. Uh, now, the, the shepherds were obviously out, outsiders, but today we're going to look at folks that are even more outsiders than those guys. Uh, these folks were uh, not drawn to Christ uh, because of the manger. These guys were the magi. And their story is not told in Luke, but it's actually told separately in uh, Matthew uh, chapter 2. And this is just such an awesome, ch- it's, it's, it's not short, it's 23 verses long. But uh, sometimes it's good just to hear the whole story. So here it is. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard it, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem troubled with him. And gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he said to them, that's the next chapter. He began to inquire of them where the Christ was to be born. And they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. And then Herod secretly called the Magi and ascertained from them the time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make careful search for the child, and when you have found him, report to me that I may go too and come and worship him. And having heard the king, they went their way, and lo, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, and it came and stood over where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And they came into the house and saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell down and they worshipped him. And opening their treasures, they presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed for their own country by another way. And there we usually stop reading, but the drama only thickens. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. So he arose, and he took the child and his mother by night, and they departed to Egypt. And it was there until the death of Herod that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, Out of Egypt did I call my son. 
Then when Herod saw that he had been tricked by the Magi, he became very enraged and sent and slew all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all its environs and from two years old and under, according to the time which he had ascertained from the Magi. Then that which was spoken of through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be comforted because they were no more. But when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise and take the child and his mother and go into the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he arose and took the child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned by God in a dream, he departed for the regions of Galilee. And came and resided in a city called Nazareth, that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. He shall be called a Nazarene. A Nazarene. Wow. What a story. It's got everything, doesn't it? Intrigue, drama, wonder, violence. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that Hollywood today would make a movie of. And here it is in the second chapter of Mark. Do you realize that the star that we celebrate as a part of this story uh, will have sort of a reappearance this December 21st? At least stars or planets will align in the sky. Uh, Watch for the conjunction of Jupiter, the king planet, and Saturn, the crowned planet, this December 21st at sundown. It's supposed to be one of the brightest lights in the, in, uh, the sky since 12... 26. This doesn't happen that often. And whatever happened that night seemed to be remarkable. Remarkable enough to set stargazers on a journey, a quest. So I want us to notice two things about this passage this morning. One is the quest and the other is the gift. First of all, the quest. And I'm not talking just about the Magi's quest for the king. I'm talking about God's quest for us. Think about it. He hung a star in the sky where he knew seekers in the east would be looking. He hung a star in the sky. And it had some kind of special meaning to them. It meant to them that a king, the king, was being born in Jerusalem. There were rumors at this time in history of a great king that was to come into the world. Perhaps they had heard those rumors, but something about the night sky, that star, had witnessed to them that that king was now born in Israel, and they set off to pay him homage. And God is still that way. He still longs to get the truth of his gospel in the gaze of those who need to hear it. He he, he wants the truth of his gospel in the sight lines of people in this world. And that's why the gospel through the years has gone all kinds of places that it might be heard. That's why the gospel became something that was shared on TV and radio when TV and radio were the places that people were focusing their attention. 
That's why today on the internet and live streaming, we continue to share this gospel. That's why in every facet of our society, God longs for his people to be bringing light into darkness that witnesses to him. In the entertainment world, in the businesses that we own and that we work at, God calls us to be lights in the darkness, Paul says in Philippians, that shine in a crooked and dark generation. We are to be those kinds of lights. We're lights when we're parents to our children. We're lights when we're students in our schools. We're lights when we're at work. We're lights when we're at play. We're lights to invade this world and its darkness wherever we go. God wants to hang stars in the sight lines of those who seek him. He did it then. He longs for it now. This isn't just a a story that's unfolding by chance. This is God's story. This is the story of God's quest for us. Did you notice how many times in that particular story God spoke or God uh, directed through the dreams I counted at least two, maybe three dreams by which he rerouted the, the, the drama. I mean, it almost reads like a Jason Bourne action film just ahead of the, the carnage. He keeps his son out of the way. The dreams. Did you notice the prophecies? This is God's story. God's the author of it. God's the director of it. It's unfolding. Did you notice how many prophecies were fulfilled It's almost as if Matthew is pointing out this is God's story because this is settling and illuminating the riddles that even those who study the prophets didn't understand. How could it be that the Messiah would both be born in Bethlehem, be called out of Egypt, and be known as a Nazarene? In one chapter, God unfolds it all. It seemed like an impossibility, a contradiction, it seemed, in the words of the prophets. But when God lays out his drama, not anything is missing. Everything is according to plan. God is on a quest for his people. And it must be God. It must not be some lesser deity or some morphical fate. This has to be God himself because who placed the stars? Who flung them into existence with his, with his spoken word? Who set up the whole universe so that it says in the Psalms it speaks forth speech every day? It communicates. God flung the stars into place. He's the one, the only one that could be behind this particular star unless it's given just a chance. But think of it, from the foundations of the earth, this alignment was coming together to mark the day that his son would be born by his plan in his place according to his way as much as the stars would again on the day of his crucifixion mark that dark day with the eclipse of the sun. Who can do that? Matthew's making it clear. That this is God's work here. This is God's quest for each and every one of us. And he reaches as far, not just around Jerusalem, but as far away as these magi were, somewhere in the east. We think that was probably Persia 
We're not sure. It's not really said. We don't even know that there were three wise men. We, we know that there were three gifts, and so we assume that there were three. It's in the plural, so there had to be at least two of them. But there's so much about this story we don't know. But God knew, and God communicated to them, it's time to ride. It's time to seek. It's time to start your quest for the king. And so can you imagine these magi coming to Jerusalem? Uh, there's been much said about the works of the sky at that time and how they must have been able to communicate tonight at youth. We're going to watch uh, the documentary, The Star of Bethlehem. And how in those days, strange things were happening in the alignment of stars in the sky. Having seen that, something that spoke to them about a Jewish king being born, of course, they rode for Jerusalem. But I, I don't know about you, but if I was, a, if, if I was somebody that was a, looking for the king of the Jews, if I was looking for the Messiah, if I know anything at all about uh, who this person was and what the prophecies were that foretold him, if I knew anything about it, the first stop I would have made would probably not have been just to the market. I would have probably gone straight to the temple. And we don't know this, but maybe they did. And if they'd gone to the temple, temple, what would have happened? Well, if they would have gone to the temple the way you came to church this morning, they wouldn't have gotten past the parking lot. That would have been as close as they got. God would have been within the Holy of Holies. Only the priest would have been in the temple itself. And beyond that, courts for the men of Israel and the women of Israel and the Gentiles. So you wouldn't have gotten closer to the parking lot. And they've come from far, far away seeking to pay homage to this king. But word gets out who they're looking for. And we know they didn't get any help from the temple because it was Herod that acquired news from the priests and the prophets that were available to him as the king. Where is this child to be born? And they pointed to the scriptures. It was foretold that he would be born in Bethlehem, just about five miles south of Jerusalem, due south. You can actually see Bethlehem from the hills of Jerusalem, the city, five miles south. So they were in Jerusalem. They go south to Bethlehem. And there in the night sky, they see this star again. Confirms that they're on the right course, at least in their minds. It's amazing what God will do when someone is on a quest for him. <laughs> Jeremiah 29, 13 promises us that if you seek with me, seek for me with all your heart, you will surely find me. I will be found by you. This is the promise of God. And I think it's not only for seekers then, I think it's for seekers everywhere, all the time. I, I, I don't know how he'll give you clues to reveal his true identity in such a way that it convinces your own heart. But if you will seek God with all your heart, I think it's still his promise. Isn't it true to all of our stories in this place that have found this Christ, that God in his own way lured us to himself and to that reality. I love in our home teams when we talk about how we got to know Christ again and again, another and another and another and another story of God's faithfulness to use all sorts of things 
to turn us towards himself. Good things, bad things, things we understood, things we still don't understand. God is on a quest, and he is on a quest for you. God so loved the world, he sent his son. That whosoever, that's pretty broad, (laughs) whosoever believes in him. God is on a quest. But when our quest begins, God has amazing ways of helping us find our ways to himself. I, I, I just love to hear those stories again and again and again. I mean, look at this story. Look at who God uses. I would have expected, if I was God writing this story, I, I would have sent the, 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 the Magi to celebrate the birth of my son. At the corner of town, they would have been met by a priest that gave them a map, right? Uh, uh, bands of choirs from within Jerusalem would have marked their path as they came up on their camels to the place where Jesus was with his mother. I mean, I, I, could, I could lay out a pretty good drama. But God uses the most unsuspecting characters, imperfect characters. <laughs> and what kind of characters does he have to use in this world but imperfect characters? How did the Magi find them, their way to Jesus? God used Herod. Herod. You know what they said of Herod? The, the ruler of the empire in Rome said that uh, it would be better to be Herod's pig than Herod's son. And, and in Latin, those two names rhymed, so it was quite funny. It would have been a meme. It's better to be Herod's pig than Herod's son. Why? Because several of his sons he had already had killed because he feared they were sharp enough to be rivals for his throne. This guy was a real winner. Talk talk about paranoid about his power. In, In this very story, he kills all the children of Jerusalem two years and younger based upon the time that he had received from the from the from the Magi that Jesus must have been born. Herod identifies for them the place. It's in, it's in Bethlehem, according to the prophets. And, and, and go, and when you have found him, come and tell me so that I might come and worship him too. What a piece of work. And yet, if you looked at your life, uh, that, that uncle that was such a mess, but showed you how not to live. That grandmother that prayed for you night after night, but was so quiet she rarely ever spoke the name of Jesus. That friend that was a true friend to you, but didn't seem to uh, act like all the other kids in the circle. There was something different about them, something that intrigued you, something that made you want to be like them. That night in college where you, you, you were drunk and worn out and spent and, and, and you turned on the TV and there was that TV preacher <laughs> and everything he said seemed true. 
that billboard you saw on the way home that night that you, that you prayed and you looked up and it seemed as if that Christmas billboard was written just for you, just as you prayed, just as an answer for you as you were going home, lost as you have ever been. God has his ways. Because as surely as you may be on a quest for him, I guarantee you, he is on a quest for you. And that's really the message, I think, of of this story. It's about the great quest. Not just God for us, but, but us for God. And our quest for him comes with a promise that if we seek him with all our hearts, we shall surely find him. Have you, are you still on that journey? Do you know God's made you that promise? Maybe you haven't been wholehearted. Maybe it's been here and there that your heart has wondered about God, turned towards God. You know, I think God's so gracious, he even works with that. He loves you so much. He's pursued each of us from heaven to earth. Wouldn't he pursue you right to where you are? There's a great quest in this passage. Both God's for us and ours for God. But there's not just the story of the quest. There's the story of the gift. Particularly the gifts. I I don't know about you, but I, 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 I really wonder... If the wise men knew what they were giving. You know? Aren't those strange gifts for a baby shower? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I mean, that's just kind of weird. I I would expect maybe a ball. A rattle. Maybe a gold rattle if it's for a king. But gold, frankincense, and myrrh, that kind of reminds me, one, one of my parents' friends for my birth when I was born, for my birth gift, they gave us five uh, shares in AT&T. I didn't know about that till I was 13. And probably wouldn't have much cared. But that, that was a, you know, maybe this was that kind of gift. I probably learned more from that birth gift than any other. It became actually the sacrificial gift that I gave as a pastor when we were purchasing our land because it had become quite valuable. Can you imagine? 1964 stock in AT&T. By then it had already split into eight different companies, had all kinds of shares. I was able to liquidate those in order to prepare for that gift and I probably wouldn't have had much to give if I hadn't had that. I wonder if God, even with that gift, was writing his story. It's the kind of stuff he does. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I I wonder if they knew. I wonder if they knew really that much about this king that they were coming to pay homage. Did they understand him to be the Lord and the Savior of the world? Or, Or was he just a a prominent happening for another people that they were observing from afar and came to honor with homage as as perhaps they should. Maybe they were just checking out a great event. They came to pay him homage and they brought him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Imagine that. 
gold, the gift of a king, frankincense, a gift for a priest, myrrh, a burial spice for one who's sacrificed. As baby gifts? I want to believe that God told them what to bring. I want to believe that this is God telling us something about the identity of his son, the whole world through gold and frankincense and myrrh. Gold, the gift of a king, the most precious metal for the most precious of gifts. This is an exchange. They brought him, they brought him gold. He is the king. He is the Lord of lords. Think about it. Who else is more worthy to rule the world and to rule your heart than Jesus. Who else would you trust that role to? Let me tell you, even yourself is not the best of choices. He's a king. He's a priest. He's a priest. Jesus was the one that came to stand between us and God, to really to link us, to join us together. That idea of priest is one of a bridge, right? The Scriptures tell us that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. He was building a bridge of relationship between Himself, a holy God, and us, an unholy wayward people, sinful people. He was a priest, he represented God to us. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you want to know what God is truly like, check God out in human form, in human language, who can communicate humanly, not just through stars and not just through circumstances, but an indivisible, invisible God that will make himself visible through his human Son, the Word became flesh and dwells among us. He, he shows us God. Jesus said it. The Scriptures proclaim it. That if you really want to look at Jesus, or really want to look at God, look at Jesus. I was told that in the Sistine Chapel that uh, the, all that beautiful artwork is up on the ceiling. Uh, some, some of you may have been to the Sistine Chapel in Italy and seen that gorgeous, uh, uh, famous paintings of the masters up there on, on the ceiling. But in that room, because it gets, it gets if, you've, if you've ever been there, you can walk around and just gaze at one of those after another. And I don't know about you, but this is not, this is not the natural position for one's neck, right? So a, after a while, you begin to do this. And then you see people walking around kind of stretching it out and looking back up again. It's, it's difficult to, to take it all in, even when you're right there and at it, and it is completely surrounding you. So someone wisely, in the middle of the room, set up a little kiosk with a tilted mirror. So that in, instead of cranking your head around, you can just look eye to eye with the mirror and take in the glory of the ceiling. And that's what Jesus is. He's a mirror of the Father. He's the one that as humans we can look eye to eye with and see th that he's not what we would imagine. He's 
far greater. That in our fondest hopes, this God might favor us, might, might like us. No, He loves us to the point He would lay down His life for us. Who could even dare to dream of a God with a heart like that for us unless we knew Jesus had represented that heart for us? He's a priest. He represents God to the people, but priests also represent the people to God. They stand in that place in the gap. They, they come before God and they plead our case. They ask for our forgiveness, right? They, they, they represent us. They would take the sacrifices in to be sacrificed to God that that might cover over sin. They, they, they represented people to God. And so Jesus on a cross says, here's their sacrifice. As the Lord of life, as the author of life, I lay down my life for all of them. I give my life as a substitutionary sacrifice. Some of you know that uh, I'm an ORU grad. And, and years ago, there's a story that, that comes from that place that uh, I have every reason to believe is completely true. Back, back in the 70s, I think it was, there was a, a, a great basketball player that was there. I, I've never known his name. It's not the ones that I would know or I would be able to recall. But there was a basketball player who came to campus, largely as some kids come to ORU, as a last-ditch in effort in reform. <laughs> he had already been expelled from other colleges. And his parents, hoping to get him through, decided to place him in uh, a more positive environment. Right, And so he came to school on scholarship. He was a great basketball player. He was playing on the team. But after he had been there several months, it was discovered that, once again, he was taking and, and dealing drugs on campus. And as you might imagine, that was not only a breaking of the honor code at ORU, it had some pretty stiff penalties and fines. The only problem was, though, scholarship covered his expenses. This guy was living on a shoestring. That was one of his excuses for the life that he had fallen back into, is he, he wanted to make a little money on the side. But once his offense was known, he stood before the school disciplinary board of students and professors and so forth and as they started to expel him from school, he just broke down in tears. He said, no, you can't do this. I can't go home to my parents having messed up this last opportunity. And well, the, you know, the, the rules were what the rules were. They, they, they had to carry them out. And they said, there's nothing we can do about it. You've made your bed. You're going to have to lay, it, lay in it. The, the rules are the rules. And he said, well, surely there's someone to whom we can appeal. And they said, well... Not to us, but there is a higher court around here, and his name is Oral. And so he went to the president and explained his circumstances. And the president was wise. He said, son, you know, you've made a mistake. And it's not just a new mistake, it's a repeated mistake. And if you're going to overcome this trajectory in your life, you're going to have to have some partners to help you do it. And he says, so you know the fine. 
in the early 70s, $100 was a lot of money. He didn't have it. And he said, so you've, you've got a day to find enough friends that they can pay your fine. And if you can do that, I'll have hope and you can have hope that you might write your course and turn from this way of life. But Mr. President, you don't understand. I've not made friends here. I've made enemies. Well, you better go find some friends. The fee is due tomorrow in my office. The man who had made the rules was keeping the rules. He sent him outside. The student went down the stairwell there in the LRC, and it's one of those, those stairwells that's surrounded by cement block, and so from the top to the bottom of it is kind of an echo chamber. And there on the stairwell, he sat down and just began to weep and sob out loud. He had no friend to turn to. This was it for him. There was no solution. He had no money. He had no friends. He had no favor. And then he heard the door from the top of the stairwell pop open. And he was a grown man. He wasn't going to be seen crying, so he tried to gather himself together. And he, he listened as those stairs, those footsteps came down the stairwell. And they got closer and closer. And, oh, my gosh, they're going to see me. And he put his face in his hands. And as the shadow went by him, he felt something brush against his shirt. And as the figure continued to move, he looked over down that stairwell and he could see that it was the big chief. It was Oral himself going down the stairwell. Never said a word. And, and then the student felt in his pocket and he, he pulled it out, a neatly folded $100 bill. Do you understand the one that made the rule? had paid the fine. The one that was his judge, was his friend, had given him favor. And folks, that's not the first time that's happened. That, that happened on Calvary. That happened with Christ. The one that made the rule, paid the fine, because he's your friend. Because he loves you. Because he can, because he did. That's who Jesus is. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The God that you're seeking, the good news is that God is already seeking you. And you know, as, as I studied this passage afresh, I really wanted a, I really wanted a good ending. You know, I, I wanted to see some evidence. You know, I wish it had said that, that, that the wise men, after they worshiped Jesus and gave him their gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh, that they went home different people. In order to really work in my sermon, that's what it needed to say. Well, that's not what it said. That's not what it said at all. It said that they were warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod. And so they went home by a different way. They just took a different route. 
They, they just went home. And, and that, friends, is the end of that part of the story as far as the Magi are concerned. We never hear from them again. I wish the story was different. I wish there was some addendum somewhere, maybe even in church tradition somewhere, that Malthazar and Melchor, or whatever their names were, we don't know for sure. They, 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 they went home, and they were so enamored, they found their Messiah and their king. That a little Christian community was born somewhere in the east where people learned who Jesus was and, and they really came to worship him for all that he was and to, to live a life that was different because of it. I wish there was some story like that. You know, that would fit this sermon so well. But it's not there. It's kind of typical and almost kind of tragic. They went home. They went home. And I, I wonder how many times that's kind of our story. We come and we worship and we go home. You know, I, I think gold and frankincense and myrrh were the gifts that God told them to bring. But I don't think that's the gift that Jesus is looking for. I wonder if this Christmas, instead of giving a gift and bringing a gift, what Jesus really wants is for us to be one. He wants us to be a gift to him. As he is a gift to us. If Christmas is really about gift exchange, maybe, maybe it's something that's that personal, right? That we give ourselves to him all over again. Not just by something we do, but with a we don't just receive him as a king for some people who worship. We're not spectators and observers from afar. We make him our king, our Lord, and in doing so, we become his servant. You know, that kind of goes together. If we call him Lord, that means we're his servant. But sometimes that's just a term for address. As in, honorable one. But what the king most wants, what he came for, is not gold and frankincense and myrrh. He came for the world. And that means he came for you. And he came for me. And this morning, maybe, you know, many of us may have already made our quest and discovered God. I thank God for that, don't you? That somewhere along the way, he's revealed himself to us in that powerful way. But I want you to hear this morning, if you're still on that quest, the quest doesn't end when you discover who God is. When you discover who your God is, the quest begins. 
It's transformed from a quest to find God into a quest of being with God. And I wonder if even here this morning, when there's snow outside, and mostly it's all the faithful who have already made this kind of decision have come. I wonder if here in this place this morning, I wonder if by Facebook or online, wherever you are, if this might be one of those moments where you realize the star is shining on you, that Christ has come and he gives himself as a gift to you, your king, your priest, your atonement. And maybe right now you don't want to just end a journey, you want to begin one. Maybe right now is your moment to make this life not just a quest for God, but a quest with Him. Nothing would satisfy His heart more, and I promise you nothing will satisfy your heart more. than to receive that gift and to give the very best one you've got. You. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this great Christmas exchange of gifts that we get to exchange gifts with the King. We thank you for receiving all those partial gifts, all the gold and frankincense and myrrh that we might have brought you through the years. But Lord, we know that the real gift that you want from us is not just a gift. You want us to be one. You want us to be a gift to you. And so, Father, we give ourselves to you. We pray that you would claim us as such. We thank you that as we turn our hearts to you and we believe you are who you say you are, we believe that you've done for us what you've done for us. Yes, we believe that you will do within us what you say you will do, that you will forgive us of our sins, that you will adopt us as children, that our lives can unfold from this place forward with a whole new legacy because we have a whole new heritage in you. Thank you, Lord God, for being our Father, for letting us be born again into this lineage, into your family, as we receive you as our Father through what the Son has done for us, as we receive your Spirit into our own hearts, and may it echo there that, yes, it's true, yes, it's for us, yes, let it begin. We thank you, Father, for being our Creator, for hanging the stars in place, for no one less than the God of gods being the one who has sought us this Christmas. Father, we seek you with, your whole, with our whole hearts. We thank you for the promise that we will be found or that you will be found by us. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, thank you, Lord. we give you praise for rescuing us we give you praise for your embrace of every single person and every friend that we shared this with online today lord jesus make this christmas 
that great reality for which you meant it in the hearts of all those who are seeking you. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people, even God's newest of people, say together, Amen. 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 Let's stand and sing our Christmas song.